Welcome to the McDonald Home Care Podcast Series, Episode 2. Welcome everyone to the second McDonald Home Care Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about family dynamics and how that changes as a person starts to need care. So if you're between the age of, say, 45 and 65, there's a good chance you'll be supporting an elderly parent or relative. And trying to help older parents can bring up many issues that you potentially won't be prepared for. Um, And in many cases, you're having to juggle work and children and other responsibilities, as well as navigating this emerging caregiving role. So Lee, over to you. I think you're going to give us some examples of, of what you've seen in your experience and um, and how that can be managed through living care. Thank you, Alex, and welcome anyone who is listening to this. I mean, yeah, over the many years of, of sort of operating or managing and setting up living care services, most of the inquiries will come from the children of the ones who need the care. Um, and often it's at a stage where they are quite burnt out uh, for one reason or the other. And that's, that's like you said, Alex, that has to, a lot to do with the fact that they're taken on a role that they really never sort of gave too much thought about, really. And so when we are taking these inquiries and talking to families, they're often, you know, could be living with their loved one at that, that point. Therefore, they are really distancing themselves from their own lives and, and taking on a full-time care and role in their you know, in their loved one's own home, their mum or dad or their mum and dad's own home. So they've often marriage-wise, children-wise, finances-wise of work, these things they've had to, or they feel that they've had to push aside to take on this responsibility. And some of the biggest issues that um, we often sort of work through with, with, with the family members um, are this sort of sense of guilt, actually, that they need to take this on. This is their responsibility. However, it often gets to a stage when they've contacted us. It's because they realize they can't continue to do this. They can't assume this role as a permanent caregiver for a loved one and also still um, sort of live effective lives um, outside of this situation. And I guess one of the, the things is perhaps it kind of creeps up. So it, it starts with helping out with doing the weekly shop and bringing the groceries in and and slowly it sort of develops and the need becomes greater and then by the time you realize how burnt out you feel it's almost difficult to find the space to step back and say okay how am I going to sort this out you're so embroiled in it in just kind of managing it and managing your own life yeah absolutely i mean it, it's it's so true you know it's like all of our lives we we take on we take on little bits extra in our lives our capacity slowly becomes you know less and less and the next thing we know actually we are you know that especially the loved ones are are taking the full responsibility where it just started like you said with just a a pop in shopping picking up medication um you know whatever it may have been you know the the occasional sleep in just to make sure when someone's come back from hospital but yeah you're right it 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 slowly becomes a dependency upon upon that son or that daughter and i think that's that's the one of the key things is is also is that is that dependency most of the clients at their age really are not wanting or accepting they need 
sort of help from the outside world, you know. So to have that from a daughter or son or another family member, they will often cling on to that. And how much is it the case that um, someone approaching you uh, and inquiring about live-in care is going from no care to almost, you know, full, full-time professional care and how much of it is people who have had visiting care, so one or two calls a day to say help with getting dressed and, and getting ready and, and how does that how does that influence things and does it make it easier if someone's previously sort of accepted care in a in a in a smaller capacity of these pop in visits than than jumping straight in or how does that work? Um look from from my own experience in and running McDonald Home Care locally most of the clients that we've taken on, you know, and providing living care services for, it's been from just situations rather than a development of that care needs, really. So most of most of the clients have not been receiving the, that visiting care. Um, and so people who maybe have come out of hospital or having, you know, health concerns that warrants going straight to living care, permanent care, because the alternative is, readmission to hospitals or going into sort of a respite or, or a care home situation. So most of the clients we take on really haven't had that journey of care. Um, however, you know, in my own sort of career, I've worked a lot with that visiting side and then sort of promoting living care as a natural progression from that. So I have definitely seen a more openness to living care once people have accepted care on the outside. So a lot of the challenges we will naturally work through with the families and the clients is that it's going to take a little bit more time for that person to actually accept um, having someone living in their home when they've really, they've really been living by themselves for so long, by themselves and so independent. Yes, and how do you manage that? Because they, I, I guess there is that concern that the older person might have is that they've they've had autonomy over what they do in their own home and what they want to do and when, and all of a sudden there's going to be ultimately someone who is a stranger to them uh, living in their home. How do you work your way around that? Well, I mean, it, it is both very complex and yet very simple as well. What I mean by that is that the simplicity is that I myself need to ensure that I'm gaining as much information about that client, their lifestyle, their, you know, their likes, dislikes, their history, so, so much sort of key information that I can then find and introduce the right person. Because in the history of doing this and the pitfalls of it, if, if you are just going down the road of, well, we will just introduce anybody um, because they're available, then what you'll do is you'll really set everything back and it will be really tough to actually build up that trust again for that client. So so the relationship side, working with the families, 
actually meeting with the client themselves, building that trust. So if they trust me, they will often then trust who I then represent or bring in to, to care for them. And and the more that I know that person, as I said, the better then I am equipped to either recruit that right type of person um, or the or the team that we already have to introduce them. And and I've, I have to say, you know, successfully, that's, that, that's how simple it really should be. The complexities come where even when you have matched the right person, there is there is still you still just have to allow this relationship to evolve because it's a foreign relationship. It's not family. They, they don't want often someone living in their home. Um, so there, there's lots of there's lots of reasons why it does become complex. But it's all about just managing situations little by little instead of it sort of building up really. Absolutely, and I, I guess one of the things that that you do is you set up a sort of initial trial period, don't you? Which helps kind of get around this idea of this is permanence. If 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 I allow this to happen then I'm stuck with it forever. It's not the case. And, you know, that that trial period, I think, really helps frame it in a slightly different way. And then I, I imagine that most of the time, by the end of that trial period, people have become accustomed to it, actually really love the freedom that it's potentially giving them back, would be able to going out and all the other kinds of things and, and the household is taken care of. Is Is that sort of along the right lines? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always been something that I've advocated because when you're dealing with, you know, this person who, who, you know, we're talking maybe in eighties and nineties and, and the life that they've lived, the independence and, and, and just who they are as a person that they, they've you know, often been through wars that we're talking about this generation and, 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 you know, very independent, hardy people. And, and so f- for, for someone like us to come and say, you need this and it's going to be on a permanent basis. And, you know, this is the way that it works. It's, it's, it's not the right way to, to ever set up a living care service. And so the whole trial period or the whole approach, like, let's just see how this goes approach. Um, you're not signing up for life. You're not giving your life away. It's just a short duration of time. So everyone sort of gets the feel for it really. And, um, yeah, that, that seems to be a nice way forward for, for especially the, the older client to accept. And really what, what comes out of that then is, is actually, it ends up promoting independence rather than what's potentially perceived about it, which is that this is going to take away my independence. Um, and I suppose that also goes back to the the kind of family dynamic issue that we were talking about is that when you're when you're helping your parents at that stage of life that can bring some challenges into the relationships and those good intentions can end up straining those relationships because there's this perception that you're you're reducing that person's autonomy and dignity to to make their own decisions yeah and you know we work with families all the time even just most recently in in petersfield here that you know, the daughters of the client were taken on that full-time role for their mum who, who who lives with Alzheimer's and it, it just sort of was getting more and more, um, I guess her life was more and more at risk of being by herself at home. So they were noticing things um, and they felt that they had to really step in at, at such short notice to then almost do shifts during the week. So between the two daughters, um, then they would, you know, they would be doing three days and three nights at a time. And so, when, you know, when it gets to that stage, and this is by their own sort of um, own sort of life story, really, when they've spoken to me, is that it's changed from a daughter-mother relationship to a caregiver relationship. 
And so, and no one, and, and it's, that's not right or healthy um, for anyone because the client themselves is, you know, they don't really want to be sort of um, receiving personal care from their own family. You know, they don't, they don't want to see their daughter as a taking control of their lives and, and doing this and doing that. So, and from the, from the daughter's side that, you know, they were struggling, they were struggling to accept that this, this role was now upon them that the the relationship with their mother was completely changing and also they were they were really struggling with their own life with their own marriages with being away from their own husbands and children and work and financial responsibilities as well so what what have you seen when a living care package is then put into place are, are you able to sort of see how that relationship and that dynamic between the um, the children and the parents kind of reverts back to what it was. So it, it is more that kind of mother-daughter relationship in the circumstance you're talking about. Absolutely. And and it's it's almost like a breath of fresh air, Alex. I mean, that, that would maybe sum up what the daughters of this particular client, but many, many other examples would feel like. It's, it's not that they can just get back to their lives. It's more that they can relax and there's that reassurance, there's that peace of mind and just breathe again. I think, you know, getting back to original, what we said, it's amazing how little tasks or little, little things that you're doing for mom or dad, then suddenly you're the full-time carer. You really haven't had chance. It feels like you've been suffocated very quickly. And so this whole chance to breathe again, to live again, and then that whole relationship now where, you know, in this example, the daughters can just come when they want to have their own time with mom again. They they're going out, you know, to the garden centers again for coffees. They're just doing normal mother and daughter relationship things again. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's always a joy to see from that perspective. So I guess one of the things then that, that comes out of this is, and this is easier said than done, is that, that kind of planning ahead is really the key to avoiding those kind of situations and reducing the the stress of trying to make those decisions almost when it becomes an emergency. And and I guess in that situation as well, that you end up, your care options end up being reduced if you're, if you need something to happen in the next week, 10 days, because you're just at breaking point or there's been, you know, a fall and, and, and mum or dad's in hospital and you want to get them home. I guess those are more difficult to plan for, but generally are there, are there sort of signs of things that people should be looking ahead to, to think, okay, maybe I need to start having some conversations with some local providers to see what's out there, to see what the options are, to know how long it takes to put these things into place. Yeah, on a practical level, definitely. I mean, if you're, you know, people are seeing a, a deterioration and that could be sort of via sort of that mental health side of things, someone taking care of themselves, you know, they're not, you know, mum, dad aren't maybe eating well, their nutrition, their hydration, there could be a, a, re, a reoccurring of infections, admission to hospitals, you know, all, all those things are really telltale signs. And probably one of the biggest things actually is, is maybe more that loneliness and depression, which, which, which is a, a silent killer really. So I think on a practical level, they will be sort of picking up on these things. And I think if they've got any sort of close relationship with their loved one, then they will be feeling, they'll have their own sort of feelings that something's not right. Something needs to be done. And again, it comes back to maybe that sort of guilt or that that lack of assurance that mum and dad are 
are taking care of themselves when they're not there. Um, that lack of peace of mind, worrying, you know, so, so they'll be going through their own sort of journey about this as well. So if it's really got to those practical side of, of mum and dad's day-to-day life and then your own sense of the something's not right, something's going to happen, then I think, you know, that those would be really good indicators to then start, like you said, looking at options of, of care and home. Have you seen any sort of spikes in particular times of year where you get more inquiries? Because one of the things that that we tended to notice on the domiciliary care side of things was was after Christmas, and you you've had mum or dad staying over for a few days over the Christmas period, and all of a sudden you you've noticed that there's been a big change since the last time you saw them, or there's just that that greater amount of time to notice that. They've, they've got more difficulty in, say, transferring, getting up out of a chair or, or sort of their mobility and walking around. And, and that's a trigger to think, OK, we need to look into this in a bit more, bit more detail. No, you're right. I mean, and I think that that's the reality often is that when there are those occasions during the year um, where you will have, you've got more sort of condensed family time, you, you know, a lot of people, a lot of family members are seeing the reality that actually mum, dad is... is has deteriorated in, in, in different elements of their life and their own personal care and hygiene and mobility and yeah, able to manage. So that I think that's a real eye open, especially over Christmas. And there's also the, the, the conditions of infections over winter, you know, maybe the lack of appetite, the, 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 the more hospital admissions that are going on during that time as well, the, the viruses that are going. So there, there is naturally, even in this whole seasons, that there will be more inquiries coming around, around that sort of new year period. So we've talked about children taking on the responsibility as, as the caregiver, but that obviously relies on them being relatively local and I know examples of people that were doing sort of a, an hour or more's journey each way every day to try and support someone but there's going to be times where there's the family is just not that close or they're out of the country how does someone go about kind of managing that and and making sure the right care gets put in place yeah it's an interesting question and and many times you know there there is that situation uh, where the family for whatever reason i mean even during this whole lockdown period we've you know helped set up living care services for those who've been stuck in another country and and they would be you know very much in in mum or dad's life and therefore they've really had to trust to provide or set everything up from a distance really um so we've you know had those sorts of examples which you know is more sort of short term because they obviously will be able to get back into the country at some point um but there's the other occasions um where you know family members are living overseas because you know examples that that one of the daughters married a um an Australian and so you know they they live full time in Australia so their time when they do come over here is just for holidays and so when they were here last this is where they knew that they had to do something to put things in place because they just did not feel safe that when they left that their mum and dad were going to be safe living at home and because they knew they couldn't be there for them they want to ensure that when they left that they knew everything was in place so 
yeah, it's 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 a difficult one if you're overseas trying to make this work, um, you know, and because you're really reliant on maybe looking for providers that you've never really had any personal contact or recommendations from. Um, however, if, if if family are in that situation, then you know, and they can have physical contact with a care provider, you know, like the example I've given, then I think that brings a real peace of mind that actually they've with they've met us, we've met them we're able to set things up they understand what's going on they understand the process they've met the carer and therefore they can then sort of leave the country with that sort of mostly reassured that everything is 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 okay um but but saying that also i think it's important to note that part of our relationship with the the family is to keep in contact you know by email to set up you know sort of video chats to make this very difficult sort of a distant relationship work um, and part of that actually is a peace of mind is that when the living carer is there that they can really facilitate their relationship you know they can really make sure that mum and dad are having those conversations on a regular basis with their loved ones in different countries sitting up video whatsapp which which you know typically speaking the clients or the client you know would not have known about or have any interest of but but because the living care worker is there facilitating that making that happen it really just it just really connects people even it being such a such a distance away yeah i think those those kind of things are a bit of a game changer really and you don't want that barrier of technology not to allow people to to kind of use what it's there for i mean in my own family it's it's incredible how much difference that makes particularly with the elderly relatives that we've got living out the country in 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 france it just it's a totally different connection somehow than than just hearing a voice at the end of the phone absolutely you know you can see for yourself that that person looks well or that person doesn't look so well and you know by by their own sort of admission the the family would say that that, that the care the carer has become part of the family it, it, it just the relationship when there is that trust that natural sort of respect that's built up over time um they really do become part of the family. So when they're ringing through to talk to mum and dad or, you know, things are happening, then that carer is part of that whole conversation, whole relationship. And, and it is a game changer because, you know, the carers are really, are really connecting their mum and dad with sons and daughters around the world. And that's through sending photos. That's just email updates, little text messages, whatever that might be. But that, that means so much to the family who who aren't around physically to to have that peace of mind. One one thing on that, I suppose, that, that might be a concern for people is that professional boundary. And how, how do you maintain that when someone is there all the time and there's this natural kind of absorption into the family? How does the, in your experience, the care worker manage that level of professional boundary? Um, that's obviously necessary because they are there to provide a service ultimately. Yeah, I think I think this is where the agency that they're working under, you know, ensures that that there is that that maintaining that professional boundary that's obviously very very important. You talk to any living care worker, you know, they're always they're always told about personal boundaries and professional boundaries. However, the reality is in a living care relationship that actually is working then, you know, there's going to be a fine line that doesn't mean that's a bad thing. It just means that the relationship's working, that they're not only providing 
the right level of care and support, but they're actually sort of taken on um, different functions within that role that as a living care worker, they've been given agreement by the families to do or by the clients to do. So so with that, you know, it can be that sort of contact with, with family. It can be that sort of taking photos and sending updates. So professional boundaries is very important, especially when you're dealing with things like finances. However, I think what the the families and the clients probably love more than anything when that relationship is being built is that there's a sense that person is part of the home, they're part of the house, they're part of their lives. Um, and, you know, it just naturally flows, really. So and I think that's one of the benefits and one of the reasons that we've set up McDonald Home Care as an introductory uh, living care service, because it isn't just all about the sort of tick boxing sort of exercise and process driven care provider it, it, it allows for there to be a more flexible and more relationship with the families and the carers which you know when it goes right is is a very very precious thing so from a practical point of view obviously that 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 one care worker needs a break they have a life outside of the live-in care that they're delivering so what what does that typically look like because you're you're potentially having to introduce more than one person in into the home in in a practical sense what what normally happens there Uh, there's a few ways of doing it really and that's why it's so important to sort of get to know the client um, their lifestyle the family's involvement or lack of involvement and and talking through the options really so I guess a few options which are the main options would be actually there would be one main living carer that would be there for long periods of the year and therefore we would when that person had their breaks extended breaks then you know the options are that we replace them um, with a respite living care worker that would come in to fill those fill those um, holiday breaks or even at times the family have done that they they would be happy to take those sort of every so many months you know uh, weeks uh, and they would take that responsibility so there's different ways of managing that or the other way is that there's a sort of a more fixed sort of rotor where you've really got two living care workers supporting that client or those clients and they work on on a on almost like a very sort of two weeks on, two weeks off, or month on, month off, whatever the structure may be. And therefore, yes, there's there's two permanent living care workers that are working in tandem, really. So th- those are the main ways or, or, or constructs of, of a living care service. And I guess something that determines that, that structure, whether it's, you know, eight weeks on, or as you say, a more fixed pattern of two weeks on, two weeks off, is the the level of care that a person needs so whether it's if it's more companionship based then the intensity of the care is is not the same as if you've got someone with very advanced dementia for instance no absolutely you're right there it's it, it is all going like i said it's it's understanding that person's lifestyle their care needs um and realistically you know, even though they may say well no we don't want two people coming every you know two weeks it's going to be disruptive i think from a professional point of view uh, the duty of care that we have as the agency really is to to navigate that and say well look you know the recommendation is uh, because of the needs of that person is that you know one person wouldn't be able to sort of provide high quality high standard of care past two or three weeks at a time so you know that's that's our job to to understand what's really going on in that home and the service that's needed and the care that's needed and then to and then to match and to organize a sort of a rotor that 
that makes it for longevity as well as continuity really because you know it's a very it's a very emotive sort of time in that person's life so you know the, the family the client may want the easiest option and that may be to have someone there on a permanent basis or long a long purpose but actually you know um, experience will tell you that actually that the family really or the client really doesn't have that deeper understanding of how to make this work long term and so it's really up to us to make sure that we can we can navigate that correctly really well that's been a really interesting conversation i think we've sort of delved this into some other areas beyond family dynamics but ultimately it's it sort of all links back in a way doesn't it and i guess the key takeaway is if you're if you're in that situation or you feel you're getting into that situation where you're taking on more responsibility is and you you feel you might need some support is to to start looking at that kind of before it's too late and you're so busy and so overwhelmed that it's putting strain on on your relationship with that person and also your own family and and, and work potentially children is is to get in touch with someone like Lee um, at McDonald Home Care and just have those exploratory conversations and see how living care or any other type of support might be able to to help alleviate some of that absolutely yeah well great to talk to you lee and uh, i guess we'll follow up in a couple of weeks time with a new podcast yeah brilliant thanks alex and anyone who's been listening to this um thanks for your time for listening thanks very much 